Greetings, students. As always, this is Professor Totten, and welcome to the History of the American People to 1877. Today's lecture is entitled, The American Revolutionary War. Please follow along on the PowerPoint as I speak, and turn to the first slide, Strengths. Last time, we discussed the first three phases of the American Revolution, the change in sentiments, the popular insurgency, and the politics of independence. Today we will be covering the Northern Campaign failures, the Southern Campaign, the Civil War, the World War, and then a fragile peace settlement. And it is important to note that how and where the Revolutionary War is fought will have political and social consequences later. In addition, you should be able to notice how the political revolution of the elites is about policy, whereas the social revolution by the masses is about reform and change. Lastly, I want you to note that the Declaration of Independence would mean absolutely nothing if Americans did not defeat the British militarily, so military history is important. The revolutionaries will have several strengths that enable them to win the war. First is home field advantage. America is a massive continent, with a large population of 2.5 million people. In addition, the Americans will get foreign aid from countries like France, Spain, and the Dutch, without which we could not have survived. Third, the revolutionaries are fighting for an inspirational cause, as independence is a powerful motivation. Fourth, there is no nerve center. Capturing Boston, or New York City, or Charlestown will not win the war. You have to beat American armies in the field. Next is slave labor in the South. Forts around Charleston, South Carolina, and elsewhere are built with slave labor. Roads are fixed with slave labor, and supplies are carried by slaves. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Weaknesses. The Americans, though, had many weaknesses which worked against them. The first is an inferior navy and army. The Continental Army is really a misnomer because most of its soldiers were undisciplined amateurs who only volunteered for limited periods of time, and this would frustrate the heck out of men like Washington. Next, Americans were trying to establish new governments, which means new legislatures, new constitutions, new money, new infrastructure, new postal services, and Congress is largely ineffective as they do not even have an attendance policy, so barely anyone shows up. The result is that American troops will experience chronic food and ammo shortages, which will convince men like Alexander Hamilton and George Washington that stronger central government is necessary in the future. Another problem with a new government is localism. Colonies don't want to pay for other troops from other colonies, and there's a quota on the amount of commissioned officers that one colony can make. This will create jealousy and rivalries between colonies and prevent a united front. Another weakness is in the divided loyalties of Americans, as not everyone wants independence. In an 1815 letter, John Adams famously estimated that at the start of the Revolution, one-third were patriots, one-third were loyalists, and one-third were neutral, and basically would swing either way based on whichever army was closest. Slavery is not only a strength, but also a weakness. Since slaves will escape to help the British cause, and many colonists are afraid of slave uprisings, so they will keep troops at home in order to stop potential rebellions. The last weakness is the fear of power. Everyone assumes that if the army can do their own promotions, it will create a powerful standing army that can overthrow the government. 
so at every turn, the Congress tries to assert civilian control, no matter how ineffective it makes the army. And this will directly contribute to the treason of Benedict Arnold. Please advance to the next slide entitled, British Strengths and Weaknesses. The British, too, had a number of strengths and weaknesses working for and against them. The British had the single most powerful army and navy in the world, which was bolstered by 30,000 Hessian mercenaries over the course of the conflict. In addition, Great Britain bolstered all the money and resources of a great empire, as Britain had 11 million people and the colonies only had 2.5 million, one-fifth of whom were enslaved. However, the British were also fighting 3,000 miles from home, which was a logistical nightmare. In addition, Great Britain was divided at home over the war, much like Americans were during the Vietnam War. Some British worried that winning the war would enhance the king's power, and many English Whigs actually preferred American independence. The colonies were also tough to conquer for three reasons. The huge territory and wild terrain made traditional military maneuvers difficult. In addition, the British could not ravage and plunder everything because their ultimate goal was reconciliation. Also, the British had a shared identity with the colonists as Englishmen, which prevented them from being as brutal like places in India where the British tied rebels to cannons and obliterated them. Lastly, there was no colonial nerve center, as described before. Please advance to the next slide, entitled, The Invasion of New York. In July of 1776, the British fleet landed in New York, carrying 33,000 troops. Washington and his army of 15,000 men came down from Boston to confront them. Washington was severely outnumbered, and over one quarter of his men suffered from smallpox. This is part of a massive smallpox epidemic that eventually claimed the lives of 100,000 people from Mexico to New England. Several battles were fought in New York that you do not need to know, but suffice it to say that Washington lost every single engagement on Long Island and Manhattan. At the Battle of Brooklyn Heights, Harlem Heights, White Plains, and Fort Washington, the Americans broke and fled in the face of superior British discipline and firepower. The Americans fled south and then west across New Jersey and then across the Delaware River and into Pennsylvania. And at this critical time, there were more New York and New Jersey colonists signing up for the British Army than the American one. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Pursuit Stopped. Had the British continued to pursue the fleeing Continental Army, the war probably would have ended right then and there. But they didn't pursue because their commander, General William Howe, wanted to return to New York to visit his mistress. British forces encamped at several towns across New Jersey, including at Trenton, where 1,500 Hessians were located. Leaving so few men to guard against the Americans was nearly an insult, until you realized what dire straits the Continental Army was in. Because by December 1776, Washington commanded only 3,000 men. Washington's troops had been killed, wounded, captured, gotten sick, deserted, or had simply gone home when their enlistments terms were up. And Charles Lee, one of Washington's generals, was captured by the British, though some thought he had deserted. The point is that the Yankee Doodle dandy image of the patriotic American citizen soldier is largely a myth. After the first year of fighting, 
most Continental Army soldiers were young, poor rejects, immigrants, jailbirds, landless sons, blacks, and debtors with little to lose. Washington even wrote in late December, quote, If every nerve is not strained to recruit the new army with all possible expedition, I think the game is pretty near up. End quote. Thomas Paine responded by writing The Crisis, which called upon the people to rally for liberty. Paine pulled from Henry V and wrote, These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. End quote. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Victory or Death. According to 18th century traditions, both armies would encamp for the winter, but Washington desperately needed a victory before the enlistments were up. On December 25, 1776, 2,000 Americans crossed the icy Delaware River at night. The men then marched several miles to Trenton and routed the surprised Hessians. As a result of the battle, the Hessians suffered 100 casualties and 900 captured, and the Americans suffered only six wounded, including the future president, Lieutenant James Monroe. Over a week later, on January 3, 1777, Washington and 6,000 Americans surprised and routed a British rear guard at Princeton. According to a description of the battle, quote, The Pennsylvania militia have just broken in the face of heavy musket fire and grape shot. Suddenly, Washington appears among them, urging them to rally and form a line behind him. A detachment of New England Continentals joins the line, which first holds and then begins to move forward, with Washington front and center astride his white English charger. The British troops are placed behind a fence at the crest of a hill. Within 50 yards, bullets begin to whistle and men in front of the American line begin to drop. At 30 yards, Washington orders a halt and both sides exchange volleys simultaneously. An aide, Colonel Edward Fitzgerald, covers his face with his hat, certain that his commander, so conspicuous a target, was cut down. But while men on both sides of him have fallen, Washington remains atop his horse untouched. He turns to Fitzgerald, takes his hand and says, Away, my dear colonel, and bring up the troops. The day is ours. And so it was. End quote. The point is that while Trenton and Princeton were not major strategic victories, they were crucial psychological ones which kept alive the American war effort. It also shows that though Washington lost more battles than he won, he was personally brave to a fault. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Winter Camp. The Continental Army went into winter camp at Morristown, New Jersey, and two crucial things happened there. In March of 1777, Washington mandated that his soldiers get inoculated for smallpox, and this is arguably his greatest strategic move of the war and kept many of his soldiers alive. Next, Washington decided to employ the Fabian Strategy, which is a defensive strategy in which you fight until your army is at risk and then withdraw. The idea is that you don't have to win the war, rather your opponent does. The strategy comes from its namesake, the Roman Fabian, who fought against one of the greatest generals in history, the Carthaginian 
Hannibal Barca, rather than confront Hannibal directly and be slaughtered like so many Roman consuls before him, he avoided battle and harassed Hannibal's lines, which worked well until a different consul got cocky, attacked, and was annihilated. Washington deemed that this strategy was weak, but necessary in the light of American disadvantages. The battles in New York had proven that the outnumbered Continentals could not defeat the highly disciplined Redcoats in the open field, and Washington would later write that, quote, The possession of our towns, while we have an army in the field, will avail the British little, end quote. And that is the Fabian strategy in a nutshell. Please advance to the next slide entitled, The British Shift Focus. British strategy at this time focused on the middle colonies by capturing the Hudson River Corridor. Their goal was to isolate New England and end the rebellion because they think New England is the major culprit of independence. One British army of 8,000 men, including 3,000 Hessians and several hundred Indians, was under the command of General John Burgoyne. Burgoyne would march south from Canada and hopefully connect with another army under General Howe, who would advance north from New York City. Officials in Great Britain assumed that the two generals would cooperate and rendezvous near Albany, but Howe had his eyes on Philadelphia. In a bizarre move, Howe loaded his troops onto ships, sailed out into the Atlantic, and landed at the head of the Chesapeake in August of 1777. Responding to this, Washington moved his army out of New Jersey to defend Philadelphia, but the Americans were soundly defeated at the Battle of Brandywine Creek. On September 26th, Howe's army marched into Philadelphia. On October 4th, Americans tried to dislodge them at the Battle of Germantown, but were again defeated. And as a result, the criticism of Washington's ability was quite intense. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Turning Point. Meanwhile, Johnny Burgoyne's army had been moving south through the Hudson Corridor very slowly. The British baggage train was over three miles long, and Burgoyne's personal baggage included a large supply of champagne and took up over 30 carts. As the British advanced, the militia constantly sniped at them, felled trees, diverted streams, and destroyed bridges in their path. At one point, Burgoyne's army was moving less than a mile a day. Eventually, the British reached the area around Saratoga, New York, where it met an American army of 10,000 troops led by Horatio Gates and Benedict Arnold. Gates and Arnold were in conflict, and at one point, Gates had Arnold confined to his tent. But in the ensuing Battle of Saratoga, Benedict Arnold went to the front lines and distinguished himself. Quote, Riding up and down the line and against the enemy's center and right, the troops loved Arnold and followed him in a series of wild assaults. Arnold in battle was more than a little mad, but it was a derangement that led to success. The British line crumbled and then disintegrated. End quote. In the process, Arnold suffered a wound to his leg, and had he died that day, he probably would have went down as one of America's greatest generals. What did they say in Batman? You live long enough to see yourself become the villain. As a result of these assaults, the Americans surrounded the British, and Burgoyne surrendered his army of 6,000 men on October 16, 1777, marking this a devastating loss for the British. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Turning Point. 
France had been secretly supplying the Americans with money and arms since the beginning of the war, but the victory at Saratoga convinced the French to formally enter the conflict. In February 1778, France signed a military alliance with the Americans, and this would become the only military alliance that Americans signed until NATO in 1949. This was a critical alliance because France would provide an army and a navy, and it was skillfully negotiated by Benjamin Franklin. A little Benjamin Franklin story. Franklin understood that most colonials were seen as like backwards hicks to Europeans, so he didn't even try to like play the part of a European. He came with like a homespun outfit and a raccoon skin hat. He played up to American colloquials, but he also did something the French loved, which was smooze, drink, and philander about with women. Well, the point is that once one nation got into the game, others would follow. So in 1779, the Spanish allied with the French, thus leaving the British isolated. And then the Dutch began giving loans to the Americans, and as a result of all of this, British fleets will end up being tied up in the Caribbean, trying to protect their lucrative sugar islands from other European powers. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Winter of Misery. From January to May 1778, the Continental Army was encamped at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, and the common soldiers suffered in the brutal cold. Washington wrote of the event, quote, To see men without clothes, to cover their nakedness, without blankets to lay on, without shoes, by which their marches might be traced by the blood from their feet, is a mark of the patience and obedience, which in my opinion can be scarcely paralleled. End quote. Over 2,500 soldiers died at Valley Forge, and 1,000 deserted. However, we should note that the officers fared much better than the soldiers, as George Washington and his officers did not suffer in the cold or from hunger. At Valley Forge, an intrigue among other officers was hatched, called the Conway Cabal. Washington was forced to deal with these officers, including Horatio Gates, who were trying to convince Congress to remove him from command. But Washington nipped this in the bud by offering, or threatening, to resign, at which the Congress responded that they had faith in his leadership. At Valley Fords, two foreign men would join the Patriot cause and greatly contributed to American success. The first was the Marquis de Lafayette, a 20-year-old French aristocrat who believed in the cause of liberty and unlike other French officers, had no problem fighting under American command as a junior officer instead of as a general. At Valley Forge, the bond between Washington and Lafayette was cemented, with Lafayette describing Washington as a father figure. And by the way, Fayetteville gets its name from Lafayette. Another foreign officer who showed up to volunteer at Valley Forge was Baron von Steuben, a Prussian soldier. Though he was not, as he claimed, a Prussian general, Steuben possessed a detailed knowledge of Prussian and French military procedures and discipline. Discipline, or the ability to move from columns and into lines and standing at attention while a guy in front of you is hit by a cannonball, is crucial to the 18th century military. The last letter Washington wrote as commander-in-chief of the Continental Army was to Steuben, thanking him for his critical contributions to American victory. In fact, von Steuben wrote the official War Department Manual for the Armed Forces up to 1812, which was called the Regulations for the Order and Discipline of Troops, 
of the United States. Please advance to the next slide entitled, Battle Ready. By June 1788, the British Army, 10,000 men strong, evacuated Philadelphia and moved eastward to New York after learning that capturing the capital would not bring about American surrender. The Continental Army pursued this force and attacked their rear guard at the Battle of Monmouth Courthouse. Though the outcome at Monmouth was indecisive, the newly disciplined Continental Army proved it could hold its own against the Redcoats in open field. However, this would be the last major battle fought in the North. As the British dug in at New York City, and the Continental Army took up defensive positions around it. Please advance to the next slide entitled, The Ballad of Molly Pitcher. There is a well-known story of Mary Hayes at the Battle of Montmouth. Like many other women, Hayes delivered water to a gun crew, which included her husband. When her husband got injured, she joined the crew, and according to legend, a British cannonball passed between her legs and tore part of her petticoat. Private Joseph Plum Martin, who kept a journal throughout the war and supposedly witnessed the incident, later wrote that if the cannonball had been a little higher, quote, it might have carried away something else, end quote. Hayes became a figure of lore and became known as Molly Pitcher. The reason I bring up this story is because of the role of women is not limited to stories like that of Molly Pitcher. Like all wars, women shamed men into military service. They participated in and enforced boycotts. Women also typically did the family shopping, so their participation was crucial. Boycotts required women to wear and make homespun clothes. They had to run the family business while men were away. And they traveled with the armies as cooks, nurses, laundresses, and prostitutes. Perhaps 20,000 women traveled with American armies during the war, and British armies included one woman for every 10 soldiers which gave them an important advantage, as it freed up the labor of men to serve in the army. The point is that every war is fought on the backs of the poor and women, and without their sacrifices, we would not have won the revolution. I'm going to end the lecture here, and we will pick up with the Southern Theater next time. So I hope you are all staying safe and making smart decisions. Thank you very much, and have a wonderful day. I'll see you next time.